Hello everyone. I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us again this evening uh, on April 28, 2020. The title of the message tonight, I've entitled it Thanksgiving and Worship. Thanksgiving and Worship. Sometimes we view these two separate events, but in reality they are synonymous with one another. What I mean by that is, is that we look at Thanksgiving, we work, we look at worship, and we think, well, should they be together? Well, yes, they should. The Word of God teaches us that. But at the same time, in our daily living, daily application of understanding uh, the text itself, we tend to take Thanksgiving and we tend to separate it from worship. Now, the text tonight comes from Psalm 103. So if you have your copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn it. Uh, turn your Bible to uh, that book in that chapter. We're going to start in verse 1 tonight. Uh, but this is only part 1 of this sermon message. In my heart, I love Psalm 103. Psalm 103, for me, is one of the most important books uh, and writings in relations to understanding of how to apply worship to our daily life and which is simply appreciation for what the Lord has done for us. So I hope and pray that this message will be a blessing to you. It will help you to encounter your faith deeper. Uh, You'll come to a a more greater resolve of understanding of uh, what the Word of God is, how it should be applied. Uh, I pray that the Lord will, will encourage you, but the Spirit of God will convict you over this, that uh, he would convict you in a way that it draws you closer to this knowledge. So I hope that Psalm 103 uh, will be a staple for you in your spiritual walk with the Lord from now until the day that you go to be with Him. So let's uh, open up tonight with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for every moment of life because, Lord, we know it's special for you. And our life should be special for us and to us. Because, Father, as we have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, we thank you so much for all that you have done. I thank you for King David. I thank you for his life. I thank you for his heart. I thank you for this particular psalm, as all the psalms that he wrote. But this particular song, Lord, I I praise you and I thank you for it. I thank you for what it means to me. And I pray for all of the listeners and all the readers of this, the Word of God, that we would grow from it and understand it and be able to apply it. Uh, in a way that, Lord, it becomes actually who we are. Uh, it's not just words that we read. It's just not a short study that we may do. Uh, if it's everything in our life when we read this is going well and we think, well, okay, well, we need to be thanksgiving, but where is the worship? But Lord, I pray that each of us would find the place of worship as we lead into a moment of thanksgiving. And I just thank you again for the text tonight. I thank you for all those that are listening, Lord. I pray that you would just continue to bless all of our brethren, no matter where they live across the world. And I pray that you would just be a continued encouragement to them uh, through these times and through each and every day until we see you face to face. I pray for any that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that they would come to that redemptive knowledge tonight uh, through the teaching of your word. Uh, that they would come to that absolute authority of understanding that only Christ himself can forgive them of their sins that they have committed before him. So just take us through this text tonight. Use it, help us, build us up, encouraging us in each and every way of our life, helping us to apply it in all facets, that, Lord, we not leave one area of our life out, but, Lord, that we would learn from all of these things. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Since about 1995, when I preached my first message uh, at Trinity Baptist Church here in Berkeley County, I have always wondered what brings about and what makes a good message. I've challenged my own heart through the years and the last uh, nearly 16 years of being a pastor, preacher, teacher, and I have thought so many times and exhaustively I've thought about what is it that makes a sermon great? Is it people meeting the pastor at the church door on the way out and saying, hey, pastor, that was a great sermon, uh, best sermon I've ever heard, or very informative, or, or what is it? What, what makes a great sermon? I believe there's just a couple different things that makes a sermon great. Well, number one, it has to be the message that God has prepared and laid on our hearts that we as pastors uh, are to bring forth. Uh, but I also believe that it's sticking with the text itself of understanding uh, what the text is particularly saying uh, to us at that particular moment, uh, how it influences us, how it helps us. Uh, it's not just about how we present it or the execution of it. It's not whether it's done with great volume or low volume. Uh, I believe it's done with the heart uh, and conveying a message of grace and love. Uh, Lord, it, it can be done in, in such a way, uh, but yet to each and every hearer, that we would present it with love and with a deep compassion of conviction, of understanding. And I believe that's what uh, David does in Psalm 103. Uh, the 19th century pastor, uh, expository preacher, writer, Charles Spurgeon uh, made a comment about Psalm 103 uh, during his lifetime, and this is simply what he said. There's too much in this psalm for a thousand pens to write. It is one of those all comprehensive scriptures. I got to read that again. One of those all comprehending scriptures, comprehensive comprehending scriptures, which is a Bible in itself, and it might alone almost suffice for the hymn book of the church. And that is, and having studied and read and uh, exhausted Psalm 103 throughout the years, uh, that is such a tremendous blessing to me. Uh, when you understand what it is that David is saying in these 22 short verses, and how it is that with what Charles Spurgeon saw in it, that we also understand what a uh, great another great expositor of the of the scriptures uh, Matthew Hen Henry which lived in the late 17th and er early 18th century but I want you to hear what he says about it and I love this term I love what Charles Spurgeon said but listen to what Matthew Henry says Matthew, Matthew Henry says in regards to Psalm 103 this psalm calls more for devotion than exposition Wow, what does that mean? For some of us here tonight, uh, for the sake of time, I'm just going to explain it to you kind of quickly. And it simply means this, that Matthew Henry said with his exhaustive study in Psalm 103, searching out the, the heart of the man to be able to understand what the man was saying in the text to find a full expositional understanding of the 22 combined verses that we see here in the King James Version of the Bible, he simply says this, is that with this psalm and the knowledge of this psalm, that we need to have more devotion 
to what is written than into such a deep exposition of the text itself because simply this means is what does knowledge profit someone without first exercising it? So some people would say, well, wait a minute, Pastor, that's confusing. Why are you saying you have to know it before you can explain it? Well, that's true. You do need to know the information. But in the, when it comes down to the context of God's Word, is that you need to live it by understanding it. And by understanding it, you're living it. Then you can get into a greater exposition of what the text is trying to say. So Matthew Henry and his deep understanding of the text was, is that it's good for exposition. It's good to detail the scriptures. It's good to go verse by verse. It's good to understand all these things, but to have a deeper understanding of devotion to bringing forth the understanding of the text to your personal walk with Jesus Christ and before men is greater than just a head knowledge of exposition of the text. Now, many people have head knowledge of the Word of God. There are a lot of people that have went to a lot of fine schools that have learned a lot about God's Word. But for many of these people, not all of them, but for many of these expositors of the Word of God, they are bringing about intelligence of what they perceive a text understands or, or, or the meaning of an understanding of the text. Or would it be better to give an exposition that through the devotion of our minds and our hearts about bringing the text to life through the life that we live? So that is simply what Charles Spurgeon and what Matthew Henry was simply saying. But let's, let's quickly get into the mind and the heart of the author. What does the author have to say about Psalm 103? Here's a great, just very uh, simple understanding of what Psalm 103 means. It means that this psalms or this song composition comes from the deep praise and worship and love for His eternal God and Redeemer. Now, when you listen to Charles Spurgeon and Matthew Henry, it takes it to a deeper understanding. But when you get down to, as, as Matthew Henry said, when you get down to the devotion side of Psalm 103, we see where the exposition of King David's heart was when he wrote this particular psalm. And this song in Psalm 103 is, is that this is an intimate. Now listen to this. This is very important to understand. This is where devotion versus exposition. This is an intimate conversation that David is having with his own mind, with his own heart, and with his own soul. This is an inward conversation. This is not an external conversation. This is not him sitting down with great theologian scholars of the Word of God. This is a man, a sinner that has been saved by the love and the grace of Almighty God, and he is sitting down within his own mind and his own heart, and he is coming to a conclusion of his personal exposition of his position and God's love for him. That is a phenomenal way to look at this. So again, let's look at Psalm 103. And again tonight in part one, we're only going to cover the first five verses. 
But the verses 1 through 5 is a praise for all of God's personal blessings. This is David. Now, when you're reading this, as we're going across it uh, and through the text tonight, or if you just read this on your own at some point in time, you need to take David's name off of the text in these first five verses, and you need to replace it with your name. So you are no longer thinking about what David is thinking, what David is saying, and how he feels about his relationship with, with the Lord, with God, and with Jesus Christ, his Redeemer. You need to replace his name with your name and get yourself back to that simple position of being saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So there are five points that he brings out in verses three to five. Now, I just want to give these to you. I want to point them out to you first, and then we're just going to walk through the text. The first one, which is found in verse three, the first of these positions and these personal blessings that David writes about is, who forgiveth all thine iniquities? And the second one in verse three is, who healeth all his diseases? In verse four, we find number three, which is, who redeemeth thy life from destruction? The fourth one found in verse 4 is, Who uh, crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies? And the fifth one is found in verse 5, which says, Who satisfieth thy mouth, or who satisfies you with good things, so that thy youth is rewarded or renewed like the eagles? Now let's go back to verse 1, and we'll walk through the text tonight. He says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And he says, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Now that's the King James Version. Let me give you a little bit more of a, a, a modern language understanding of what verse 1 is saying. David says this. He says, my soul. Now notice this is first person within his own mind and his own heart as he says this he says my soul praise Yahweh my soul praise Yahweh and all that is within me praise his holy name here David gets into this great searching of the depths of his heart and his mind and his soul over his appreciation for how God has redeemed his lost soul to a place of redemption in, in God and in the future coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, David calls upon his soul. Pay attention to this. He calls upon his immortal nature and all of his senses and included faculties, which is the core of who he is as a created man and a redeemed sinner. So David in this first part of verse 1 just simply says, he says, I have come to full disclosure within myself. I have come to a full knowledge of salvation, not that I say it with my mouth, but I believe it with my heart and I live it with my life. And he says that I, am, I have searched the depths, which means full disclosure of full honesty. And what does that mean? We have to be honest with who we were before we can accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior and ask Him to forgive us of our sins. That's the way of the honesty. That is the way of the accountability. So David here 
once he knows the redemption of God lives with inside of him, he cries out with this great song, S-O-N-G song, with this great song of praise. He reaches out because he's reached so deep inside of who he is, setting aside false failures of the past, setting aside all of the pain and discomfort of his actions in his life, and he has come to a conclusive point to where he has reached down into the greater depths of what his salvation means to him and how much he loves his Redeemer. This is the depth that most Christians will never find. They will find it on the moment that they, that they find salvation in Christ and they confess their sins and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. But it's amazing that how many of us as Christians, we find that accountability, we find that same love that David had at this particular time, and he reach as we reach down into the core depths of just admitting what we have done and who we have done it to and how that sinful nature has caused a great gulf of division between us and God that it could only be breached by grace through Jesus Christ and so many of us that once we have found it in Jesus Christ alone, we let it go. It's like we blow up the bridge that has that has breached over this great gulf of disappointment and sin and despair and departure of our minds and our hearts in God and Jesus Christ. And here it's like blowing that bridge up when, when Jesus Christ has brought it about, when He has brought it to, a, to the forefront of our minds to help us that we can understand who and what we are. You can't run from it. You can't hide from it. And what I'm talking about is who we are. So we might as well accept it and walk across the same bridge that Jesus Christ gave and David is calling upon every facet of his life not just his spiritual life but also his emotional life also his physical life also the sinful nature that he's lived in also the sinful nature that he struggles with at this time and all of the sights, all of the sounds, all of the smells, all of the taste of life, he has called upon all of who God has created him to be as a created man. And he has reached deep inside and he says, David, in who you are, you will give thanks to God for all things because redemption and the favor of redemption of your heart, First John 5.13, that you can know that you have eternal life. He says that you know that only God has done this for you and you must praise and worship and thank him because it was only him that could do it for you but he also closes out this song in verse 22 and i want to jump ahead to verse 22 of psalm 103 because we we have just understood a little bit about how he he opens up this beautiful uh chapter but how does he conclude this chapter he simply says bless the lord all his works in all places of his dominion, bless the Lord, O my soul. So what does this mean? Here we look back at verse 1 and we see how David cries to himself and he says, David, with all that you are and all that you have, give God the glory. 
But now at the end of this psalm in verse 22, he simply cries out to the world and he says, as a nation or as nations or as a creation of God, that all of, the, of a universal and global praise to God and God of his mercy. And praise him and thank him. So he starts it out by a personal praise and worship, but he also extends it now as a universal global praise to God for all of the world to praise him and to thank him and to glorify him for all that he has done. Now I do, and I try not to do this very often, but with this pandemic that we're still going through with this COVID-19, how many of us as Christians have truly sat down and thought about whether you have received an illness through this, doesn't matter what it is, or somebody that you love, how much praise and worship have you give God through this? How much honor have you give God through this? How much praise and worship have you cried out to God, praising Him and thanking Him for for everything, even COVID-19. How have we found in the great depths of who we are, have we taken the time to bring about an intimate praise to God, glorifying Him and thanking Him for everything that He has done? And in the recent weeks, there's been so many times where, where Christians that are still working, that their families are healthy and they're still making their bills and they still have food to eat and, and they're able to just basically uh, walk through life in a normal state minus what's going on at this time. But yet we're finding ourselves whining and complaining over the discomfort that this is causing us by social distancing or by people that have lost out and missed out on some vacations already this year and maybe you've lost some money because you know somebody wouldn't give you your financial deposit back and we we focus on these things and we find that to bring discomfort into our life because we're thinking too much about what has brought us displeasure and David just simply says and in the global exposition of the text for for the world is simply this is get on your knees and raise your hands and look up to heaven and to pray Praise God for all things and to reach down into the depths of who you are and find that reason and that purpose to give glory to him. Let's look at verse two. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Remember, this is an intimate conversation of a man with his heart. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And he says, and forget not all of his benefits. What is he saying? He simply says to himself, he says, David, he says, adore and thank God for all of his benefits that he has poured out into your life. And he says, don't just thank God for the ones that you wanted. He says, praise God and adore God for even the things that came into your life that you didn't want. This is simply what he means in verse 2. He says, give God the glory. Give God the praise. Give God the majesty. Give God the honor. Give God all that is worthy unto His name. And just praise Him and thank Him for everything good. Praise Him and thank Him for everything difficult. Praise 
praise Him and thank Him for the moments when you were seeking an answer and you heard uh, uh, no answer to a question in your life and the times when you just felt alone, at times when you just felt like you was on a desolate island all by yourself and there was nowhere and the more you cried out, the only thing you heard was the echo of your own voice. And even in the midst of those chaotic moments of life, David says, to David, he says, give praise and honor to God for all of his benefits, for all of the wisdom through the hard times of life, for all of the times that he has paid your bills, for all of the times that you didn't know you could pay your bills, for all of the times during the midst of a health scare, in the, in the, in the moments of a, of a crisis in somebody else's life that you love and care about dearly. He says, you need to forget not all of the benefits that He has cried out. The world needs to hear this. Not the few of you that's listening to this, but the world needs to hear this. And the only way that they're going to hear this message is not from my voice at this place, at this time, on this recording, but it's going to be found, it's going to be heard, it's going to be seen in every one of our voices, in every one of our lives, if we will just give God the honor and the praise and the glory that is justly due to His glory glorious name and in verse 3 king david goes on and he simply says this and we start out in the first of five the first of five personal blessings of what david is speaking about here so let's slow down just a moment and let's look at the first one he says forget not all his benefits and he says what are these benefits david david what are these benefits he, he answers himself in verse 3 with the first one when he says, and I love this because this is the most important. Pay attention to this. Out of all five of these, he puts the most important first. And we should take a great lesson from that and stop praising God at the end for salvation. And we need to be praising God at the beginning of all things with our salvation. He says, who forgiveth all of your iniquities. David has this deep conversation of himself after all of the things that he's done wrong out of all the things that he has done up to this point in his life and all of those travesties and all of the pain and suffering that he brought not only into his own personal life and the spiritual deterioration of his own faith with inside of himself but yet the pain that he brought to other people's lives as well he simply says that David cries out and he says he is the God that has forgiven all of your iniquities. He has forgiven all of your sins. So David begins this, this, this list of blessings with the greatest of all blessings. And that's his salvation. That's his salvation. I believe with all of my heart that we all, every one of us, need to use this as a template example of how we live our life. And how we, we honor God and how we have our prayer life. And what I mean by that is, is that it, it's not just sitting there and going you know, at, at supper time and saying, you know, Lord, we thank you for this food. We ask you bless it, you know, make it nourishing in our bodies in Jesus name. Amen. That's Thanksgiving. Yes. But where's the worship? Remember the title of the message, Thanksgiving and worship. Where is the worship? We see the Thanksgiving. We're giving God thanks for the food and we're asking God to, to, to purify it and to take out all the impurities that nothing makes us sick or makes us unhealthy. So where is the worship? The worship is found before the thanksgiving. And I'll give you a quick example. 
Dear Heavenly Father, I love you, I praise you, and I thank you today. I thank you first and most of all for the salvation of my life and for my family. And Lord God, we lift up our praise before you. And Lord, as we sit here at this supper table, Lord God, we find the, the, the divine providence of God and of grace, and we love you and we thank you so much for saving our souls. In spite of who we are, that your unending love came to our life. But Lord, now we ask that you take this food, that you would enrich it and make it nourishing to our bodies that lord it would strengthen us for the cause of christ that awaits us today and in the future we love you in jesus name amen do you not see what that prayer brings about you say well pastor how can i pray that in in the public well right now you ain't got that to worry about because simply you're not going to the restaurants because they're all closed but what i'm saying is is that you need to get a place of thanksgiving and worship and you need to have worship with thanksgiving and i don't care if you're sitting in the mcdonald's i don't care if you're sitting in what kind of a restaurant or at your own table or your neighbor's table that you take the time to praise and honor and to glorify god for his redemptive power that he has saved you from all of your sins not all but one but he saved you for all so you could be all saved so david gives this great cry of god for this I'm going to give you another Old Testament uh, example of this that we find in the book of Isaiah. Just listen. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 11, and then verses 25. This is a conversation that God is having with Israel and explaining to Israel about their release from Babylon, yet in spite of their own unfaithfulness to Him. Now listen to verse 11. He says, I, this is God speaking. He says, I, even I, am the Lord. And besides me, there is no Savior. And in verse 25, he goes on to say, he says, I, even I, am he that blotted out thy transgressions. Now pay attention to this because this is vitally important to get to the exposition of the text tonight so you fully understand how and what this should mean to you. He concludes this verse by simply saying this, that he says, I have blotted out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. Here God is crying out. Now listen to this. This is God crying out to unfaithful Israel. Israel that he loves with all of his heart. Israel which he, he himself has just poured his heart and his mind out. And even in the moments of, of just disobedience, in the moments of just punishment that he had to pour out upon Israel. He says, in spite of your unfaithfulness, I'm still going to release you from the captivity of Babylon. And he says, you need to understand as I will release you from this moment of your life. He says that besides me, you have no other Savior. There is nobody else that can take you out of Babylon. There is nobody else that can bring you out of this place of torment and of pain. There is nobody else that can do this for you. Only I am the one. And yet, 
at the end verse 25 and I love this because it is so wonderful to remember to 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 memorize uh, in our minds and our hearts about who we were before we were saved so that now that we are saved we can truly live in and appreciate and worship God for what he has brought us from but he says I myself I even I have blotted out thy transgressions for my sake It's all about God. Your salvation wasn't just about you getting out and escaping from a place called hell. Your salvation, yes, it kept you from going to a place called hell, but it should have launched you to a place of of thanksgiving and worship to where you was willing to raise up your voice every day and not only praise God for being the Redeemer, for not only just blotting out our sins, for not only being the only one that could have done that but realizing and understanding that through all of that that you're indebted to him you're indebted to him and that's where it breaks my heart even just reflecting back on my own life since I've been saved of how many times and through the years how many times decisions were made because of what was what I wanted or you know actions were done because I was just being uh, led by emotions good or bad and not realizing and not taking the time through thanksgiving and worship of just praising God and thanking Him for all that he has done. Brothers and sisters, if if you are truly born again, we have nothing to regret in our salvation. And we have all praise and thanksgiving and worship to give to God. And we should want to be in a place to where we can prove our love to him. We can't pay for that love. Jesus did that for us. But we need to find ourselves in that place where we are so captivated by love and grace and mercy. And even when God doesn't even ask us to do something, we take it upon ourselves to just do something for him. And it doesn't always have to be at the church house. And yes, we need to labor. And we need to co-labor with one another at the church. We need to teach Sunday school classes. We need to be trustees. We need to be deacons. We need to be treasurers. We need to be those that work in media and sound systems. We need to, we need people in those positions. But it's not simply because it's something we have a talent to do. But it's because we have a thanksgiving of praise and worship to God that we can give to Him while doing it. And this is the crying. This is the crying out that God speaks in Isaiah 43. Number two. In verse 3, the second point of personal blessings David brings out, and he simply says, who healeth all his diseases. You know, I, I think once again with where we're at in the world today and with all of the things that are going on and all of the diseases that are in the world, and let's just talk about Christians for just a moment and how many times that God heals us, how many times that God preserves us. I just talked to somebody this last week that was diagnosed with the COVID-19 and they said, yes, it was uncomfortable and there was times that they had fever. There was times that they were they were wore out and tired and there was times where they just didn't feel like picking their head up because they was just so exhausted. But yet this person that I spoke with, they said that I found greater understanding and praise because I know that God was getting me through this. 
that even though I was suffering in the flesh, even though I had a fever, even though I was uh, I was uncomfortable, even though I was so tired and exhausted, even though I had a cough, even though all of the things that was occurring to my body, I give God the praise that he said because he knew that the that the Lord God was getting him through it. And this is what we need to be praising God for. And we need to stop thinking that because we was exercising before the disease or before the affliction and we was eating healthy and we was taking our vitamins and we just think that because I was living a good life and I was trying to take care of myself before uh, the sickness uh, entered into my body, that because I was strong before, that I find myself to be strong after. And let me tell you what, those things are great, but it's not you. God gave you the abilities to be strong. God gave you the abilities of dedication to be able to work out. God gave you the abilities of dedication of taking uh, vitamins and doing the things that you needed to do for the natural physical body. But bet you better be giving God praise and glory because what you have, what you bring about, what you do, and what you recover from was not what you did, but it's what God did for you. God controls the destiny of the flesh, but man controls the destination. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, the Word of God says simply this, And as is it appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. God does bring about the destiny, but man controls the destination. If you was to die today, where would you wind up? Would you be submitted to a place called hell, awaiting final great white throne judgment before Jesus Christ? At a point in time when you're going to cry out to Him, mercy, mercy. And Jesus will respond to you by saying, I have given you all mercy and you rejected it. Or Christian, will you find yourself kneeling before Jesus thinking, man, I'm saved and I made it. But what about the questions that he will ask? What about your life? What about those works that are going to be tried by fire? What about those crowns that you could have laid at his feet? If you would have only had thanksgiving and worship, you would have had more to offer him on judgment day than in a day of judgment. Let's look at verse 4. The third personal blessing that David brings about here, he says, Who redeemeth my life from destruction? David acknowledges God's redemption and his restoration from sinful man to redeemed servant. This is the praise and the worship here that he cries out in in this third paramount personal blessing that he knows that God and God alone remember what 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 God said in Isaiah 43 I even I David acknowledges that David accepts that David understands that at this point in his life he expects because of the knowledge that has been placed within his mind and his heart, he expects himself to praise God for the redemption and the restoration. But by being this wretched, sinful person that now he is praising, he is thanksgiving, he is worshiping God, saying, my God, my Savior, my Redeemer, I thank you that you have turned me into a redeemed servant for you. 
You know, as Christians, we shouldn't have to read where the Apostle Paul says that I am indebted to Christ or I'm a slave to Christ or I am a servant to Christ. We shouldn't have to identify with who he was to be able to present who we should be now. We should be identifying as we read those texts and as we read those scriptures, we need to read it as we're identifying with him because we can say, listen, Paul, I understand because that's who I am today in 2020. And I praise God that you was that way when you was living life, when you was serving Jesus Christ. So you identify with Paul that you don't have to always just use that as an example to do what you need to do. Does that make sense? And I hope that it does. Paul should not only have to be the example. Paul should be the living side by side example of what you are. So when you look into your spiritual mirror the same way Paul would look into his if he was standing beside of you you both could look into the mirror of your heart mind body and soul and you could look deep inside and you can look across at the other mirror and what you see is not the other person but you see your reflection in the other person's life and that's exactly what the redemptive power that David here cries out about in the first part of verse 4 this third personal blessing is he acknowledges the redemption of his soul in God through his forthcoming Savior Jesus Christ the fourth one is this fourth blessing this fourth personal blessing we still find in verse 4 he says who crowneth me with loving kindness who crowneth me who honors me who gives to me who empowers unto me this loving kindness? What is this loving kindness? It's simply two words. Are you ready? It means faithful love. It's a faithful love. It's a love that can't be bought. It's a, a love that cannot be purchased with any work. It's this faithful love is not something that has a price tag that you have the ability to pay. This loving the faithful love that here of what David speaks about, he says this is the all-loving heart and compassion of thanksgiving and worship for us through Jesus Christ. Here David understands that it's because of his faithful love to us that he is encrowned, he has laid upon and pressed upon the mind and the heart and the and the the head of David. He says that he is impressed upon me this great faithful love, and it's not just the love. Pay attention to this. Look at the end of verse four. He says it's not just the faithful love of God that I'm praising God for that I acknowledge as this. Fourth personal blessing that God has given to me through my salvation. He says that it's not just a faithful love. He says also tender mercies, which simply means compassion. He acknowledges in his mind and in his heart. He says, here is the love of God, but here is the love of God imparted unto me. Here is the love of God given to me. This is the love of the tender mercies. This is the compassion. Now pay attention to this. We can have love and not compassion. You know that we can as people. Praise God He's not like us. David says, I acknowledge your faithful love to me, but he says, God, I praise you and I thank you not only for your love, but I thank you for the compassion which crowned me with it. 
when you laid that crown upon me, when David looks deep inside of himself and he acknowledges, even at this point in his life, he acknowledges for all that he has done up to this point in his life, he can look at God and say, my, my, my God, my Savior, my Redeemer, he says, I thank you for your faithful love. He says, but I thank you that you imparted it to me with compassion that was greater than my sins. Compassion that is greater than my sins. He says, God, I praise you and I thank you for all that you have given. Father, I thank you for your faithful love. Because he knew that the Redeemer was coming. He knew that Christ was coming. He says, I want to thank you, Lord God, for loving me, that in spite of who I am and what I have done, that your love and your great compassion, you have crowned me with your faithful love. And Lord God, you have imparted unto me and you have shown me not only compassion to me, but how I can show this same loving kindness and compassion to others. Look at Psalm chapter 34. Psalm chapter 34. I want to read verses 17 to 22. The righteous cry and the Lord heareth. Aren't you glad of that today? And he delivereth them out of all their troubles. All their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them. That are of a broken heart. Have you ever found yourself to be in a position where you know you're saved, where you know the Lord loves you, where His unconditional love, where His compassion, where His faithful love and all of, all of who God is, you know that it's with you, you know that it's in you, but yet there are times that you have felt alone because you have had such a deeply broken heart. The Word of God simply says, and obviously this is King David again, he says, the Lord is close unto, the, unto you for those of you that have a broken heart. When Satan says that God doesn't care, when Satan says that God's not listening, when Satan says that God is too far away to hear, hear the Word of God confirms that He is with you. And saveth such as to be of a crushed spirit. Now the King James says contrite spirit, but it means crushed spirit. But a broken heart. Have you ever had a broken heart? Yes, every human being has had a broken heart. But have you ever found yourself to have a severed spirit? Have you ever felt that your spirit, who just the depths of who you were, not something that God has done because God doesn't hurt you, that the world has done, that Satan is trying to do? Have you ever had a crushed spirit? Have you ever had something so burdensome to your heart, mind, and your life? It didn't, doesn't matter what, what the problem itself was, but you had found a place in your life, not a time when you was being selfish, not a time when you was throwing a pity party, Party, but I mean a legitimate time in your life when your it just your soul itself was crushed and burdened. Here, the Word of God says that God, even in those moments, is still nigh to you. He is still close because He is with you. In verse 19, He goes on to confirm this, and we reaffirm this in our own personal life. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Many are the afflictions. He didn't say one or two. He didn't say some. He said many. 
Many mean most. Many is that the afflictions of the righteous. What are these afflictions? You identify. I don't have enough time tonight to go through all the afflictions of, of, the, of, of the righteous, of, of those of us that are saved and the things that we go through and the things that we endure. We can all identify with that tonight. But we have to understand there are some days and there are seasons that we walk through that the afflictions are many. But you know, most of these afflictions are just of the mind and the heart. Many of the afflictions that we deal with are not of the flesh, but it's something that is closer to us, which is our hearts and our spirit. But he also goes on in verse 19, it says, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He is with us. He walks with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He always has an answer. We just have to be willing to listen to the answer. Verse 20, he keepeth all his bones. Not one of them is broken, which comes back to a, a, a cross reference of John chapter 19, verse 36, talking about the Messiah. And, and here David brings about the acknowledgement of a forthcoming Messiah, just as as the preparation of Christ being the Messiah of the world, being the Savior of the world, yet had been prophesied, not a bone was broken, and realizing that even in the brokenness of our minds and our hearts, and even though we, we acknowledge the Spirit, we acknowledge the heart, we acknowledge the sufferings, and through all of that, yet we are not broken because we are within the promises of God. Verse 21, he said, Eva shall slay the wicked, and they that hateth the righteous shall be condemned. Verse 22, it says in the Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, the Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants and none of them that trust in him shall be condemned. We're not condemned in God in Jesus Christ. We have been redeemed. We have been crowned with faithful love and compassion. We have been given a hope and a heart that is something that a surgeon himself cannot replace. This heart in our chest may, may become weak. It may become faltered. It may, it may beat out of rhythm. But you understand that that heart itself can be replaced but there is a heart that is in the knowledge of Jesus Christ that once has been redeemed once has been cured once has been installed once that has been imprisoned into our own self and I use the term imprisonment in a good way that once it has been placed inside of us that there is nothing that can ever cause it to falter or to fail let's look at verse 5 and here's the fifth of the five personal blessings. Who satisfieth? Now, if you've noticed, if you've paid attention in all of these things, in all of these five personal blessings that David has spoken about here, he started out each blessing with who, talking about God. Who satisfieth you? It says thy mouth in the King James, but who satisfieth you with good things? Now, Listen to this. This is, this is paramount for all of us at no matter where we're at in our life and our age. But he that satisfies the mouth with good things, no matter our age, no matter how old or how young we are, how strong we think we are, how weak we think we have become, no matter our age, we will find godly encouragement and strength. You need to hear that. Every one of us, those of you that are sick, physically sick of any affliction, doesn't matter what it is, 
no matter our age, when we're tired, when we're exhausted, when we just want to give up and go home to be with the Lord, when we feel like we're worthless, when we feel like we're useless, when we feel like that there, that nobody has use for us in the world. And, and listen, the older I get, I understand. For some, this is a pity party. For many, it's not. We want to feel valuable, not to us, because that would be selfish. We want to be valuable to others because that is selfish. Selfless, and we want that value. But here, no matter how old we are, no matter how young we are, no matter how strong or weak that we are, David simply says that we will find godly encouragement and strength and we will recount all of the blessings that the Lord has given us. This is talking about through a lifetime. This is talking about not one episode or one incident. He's talking about all of life's situation before you were saved, since you have been saved. Your mind and your heart will recount. Listen to me because I'm fixing to close. Your mind and your heart, it doesn't matter what your flesh is saying. It doesn't matter how your flesh feels because we've got to get away from how we feel in the flesh to understand how we we feel and how we are being encouraged with strength, with knowledge in the mind and in the heart of the believer that even in the moments when all is, it seems all is lost, all is failing, all is faltering and the, and the flesh is getting weary, the flesh is getting weak in those moments moments we will find glory in Jesus Christ because we're going to remember every blessing that he's given to us even in the moments when we were young and healthy up to the point of the blessings of God that he has given to us in the moments when we're sitting in our chairs or laying on our beds and all we want to do is give up the flesh so we can go be with Christ if we will just reflect upon all of the greatness and glories and blessings of God what does the end of verse 5 say he says so that they that thy youth is renewed like the eagles what does that simply mean is that we through recognizing through recounting through thanksgiving and worship of everything that he has done past it doesn't have to be present it doesn't have to be whatever of the future blessings of God that when we reflect in our lives of all of the blessings that he has given to us and name them one by one please that when we find the strength through the blessings of God we will be like eagles to soar over our daily problems because we have a heart listen to this and I'm about to close because we have a heart that is satisfied with the provision of God and His grace. Amen. Boy, that ought to bring a shout and joy to your heart no matter where you're at listening to this. You should want to shout out right now and praise be glory to God for all of those things. Why? How does this work? Simply, it means this, that when even in the midst of a great pandemic of your mind and your heart, as David cried out here earlier, you understand that as we're going through those difficult times, if we will just take the time to reflect upon all of the blessings that God has given to us throughout a lifetime, that those recounting blessings will give us encouragement and strength to pick up our head, to put our foot on the floor, to take that next step, to just take that next walk with Jesus, to go fulfill the ministry that Christ has called us to fulfill, to be the person that Christ has called us to fulfill and to be. And even in the moments of just hurt and sorrow or even in great joy, that we will find the abilities to cry out unto the faithful love and the compassion that God has given to us. 
And as I close, as I put on the website this week, referencing Acts chapter 26, or Acts chapter 16, sorry, verses 25 and 26, and Paul and Silas had uh, been imprisoned in Philippi when they found themselves in a dungeon and yet chained, that at midnight they began to sing songs and praise and worship. And at midnight, when the other prisoners were listening, and it's vitally important to understand that part of the text, be an exposition in that text especially, in that part of it, the Word of God says that there came a great earthquake, and it was so great that the doors opened and their chains fell off. And just think about this. If they would have stayed in the corner of a dark prison, feeling shackled and chained by their circumstances, and feeling sorry for themselves, and if they would have not taken the knowledge of all the blessings past of what God has done, that even if that was their last moments before they was going to receive a physical death, they still took the time to give God the thanksgiving and the worship. But if they would not have taken the time to praise and worship God at that time, then they would have stayed imprisoned in that cell with those chains. But because they worshiped and praised God with thanksgiving, God rewarded their praise and worship. And he opened the door and he loosened the chains. And the provision that was given to Paul and Silas at that very moment was the provision of freedom from confinement of their circumstances. We need to learn from that. And we need to understand and know that God has all things. And in all things, God will be in control. For all of us that are listening, thanksgiving and worship. And remember those five points that we spoke about tonight. Remember what the, the preacher Charles Spurgeon and the great expositor Matthew Henry wrote about. This psalm calls for more devotion than exposition. I pray this has been a blessing to you and encouragement to you, not just today, but for the remainder of your life. And if you're feeling a little bit down before you listen to this, but now you have been greatly encouraged, I just ask that you cry out to God and thank Him with His redeeming love through His Son, Jesus Christ, for what He has done for you. And if you're in that, in that same cell, still chained to the floor, to the walls, and all you feel is moisture and all you see is darkness, will you praise and worship God and trust in Him the way Paul and Silas did? And will you ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of all of your sins? Every single one. He's counted them one by one. And will you ask Him to come into your heart and your life to be your Lord and Savior? That is the only way the door will open and the chains will fall. You must trust in Him and praise and worship with thanksgiving. Father, we thank You for this service. We thank You for this time together. This time of service, Lord, is the time that we spend together tonight listening to Your Word. We may not be in the church house. But Father, Lord, we understand that where two or three are gathered together, there you are in the midst of us. And Lord, I pray that you would find that permanence and that peace and that love in each and every one of our hearts. That as you search the hearts of men, that you see not man,
but you see the heart of redemption by which you have supplied and given. Lord Jesus, there will be one that needs to be saved. Lord, we pray that they trust in you today. Father, if there be one of your children that is not being as obedient as they need to be, doing all that they need to do, I pray that they would rededicate their life now and turn their life back over to you. I pray that if they go to church, that they go to their pastor and that they would rededicate their lives publicly before their church family. Lord God, if they are here and they worship and serve you here, Father Lord, that they would reach out and they would recommit their life and their talent and their abilities to you for the service of Jesus Christ. I thank you for giving us this time. I thank you for giving us the ability. And most of all, I thank you for giving us the hope that only lies within you. We love you. We praise you and we thank you with worship and thanksgiving. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.